everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 628, Holiday Reactions. Welcome back to the now 2024 edition of the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, I know we took a little break, you know, because of the holidays, but I don't want you to think for a second that we skipped the Niners getting massacred (laughs) on Christmas Day by the Baltimore Ravens. Don't think for a second because we We missed that week that we were just going to skip over uh, what's what's their QB's name? I forget his name. He's so irrelevant now. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, so statistically so irrelevant. The guy who's going to play home game through the Super Bowl if they make it. Uh, yeah, no, we can discuss that. That's fine. <laughs> I guess That's first, fine. how was your holidays? <laughs> it was good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all the listeners. But yeah, it was enjoyable. I mean, I guess from a sporting perspective, it wasn't a great festive period for me. Blackburn didn't do particularly well. 49ers, I mean, didn't do badly, but obviously lost the the game that felt like it mattered the most. Things have gone overall pretty well for them, having already locked up the number one seed now, but still, uh, that was a bit of a downer. But aside from that, things were good. So I How guess all our longtime listeners want to know, was there throat singing this year? There was, yeah. Not <laughs> as much because family representation was just me and my parents. At the Christmas dinner, okay, and then three so, friends. So of you my couldn't parents. you couldn't get the the full surround sound throat singing experience. <laughs> <laughs> so the the other people did participate. However, I think it's more they and they enjoy it. They think it's amusing, but there's more confusion than there is enthusiasm. So. Again, there will be some listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, and we cannot, on an annual basis, explain it. And there'll be listeners who still have no idea, even though they've heard it every year. Um, yeah, it, it would be interesting to put the Christmas dinner throat singing up against our tradition of seeing the 12 days of Christmas. And we all have bells and each person has a specific day they have to sing. And you go from one to 12. It's uh, it's quite different. Yours is more psychotic, I'm just going to say. <laughs> Like yours is straight out of a, yours is straight out of a Christmas movie. Yours like, is straight I, out of a horror movie. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Ours is more. It's weird, but it is, and it's like entertaining, and it's quick. We're only talking about 20, 30 seconds. It's over in a flash. This is so, like five minutes. Yeah, that's that's a much bigger commitment. You know, in multiple ways. I mean, the only good part of it is it's later in the night so it takes about till around six or seven before people start understanding what they're actually supposed to be saying uh you know people forget what their number is all the time so and does the does the number stay the same each year for each person no it's just it's a random draw so it used to be like it was like a fun tradition when the younger kids as soon as they would get to the grandparents house for christmas would like run downstairs and grab the highest number bell so they only had to sing like once or twice 
but it's since kind of changed now where the bells are kind of just handed out and people are stuck with what they're given. And no one sort of is so enthusiastic that they want to be a, a like low number woman. every year. Yeah. No, no. Okay. <laughs> there is nothing enthusiastic about this. <laughs> Except my grandfather best. has had five golden rings at least since I was born. So okay, you're so looking he at has, close he's to 40 in. years. He's, in, he's locked into five. Okay. <laughs> Interesting, interesting positioning. <laughs> yeah. Low enough to be quite annoying, but yeah. And it's also a different kind of tone. Because it's true. like the slower, it's like the five yes. golden rings. And then everyone's like, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves. <laughs> like everyone goes really fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see it one day. Oh, it's, we film it every year. Okay, <laughs> send well, you, you the video. <laughs> you can send me the video. I want to want to be able to witness just exactly how insane this is. I don't know if you can actually go and participate because you're so anti-American. That's true. <laughs> the it's Twelve true. Days of Christmas, as everyone well knows, is an American classic. Christmas is an exclusively American holiday. <laughs> but how was your New Year's Eve then? Did you do anything for that? Um, uh, yeah, I had Outback Steakhouse in my hotel room, uh, and then stayed awake to see the East Coast. No, stayed awake to see the Puerto Rico, uh, star rise. Because in Puerto Rico, they don't drop a ball. They rise a star. (laughs) Okay. So I saw that. I don't think I made the East Coast because we were already asleep to get, uh, onto our last day of driving. Sounds fun. Yes, the the cross country driving. What an experience! You you what really the, see America. <laughs> what were the highlights? What were the lowlights from the uh, the cross country drives? The highlights were two full seasons of Friday Night Lights were consumed. <laughs> I can tell you right now, just listening to Friday Night Lights is equally as amazing to just to also watching and listening. The football scenes must really be enjoyable from a purely <laughs> audio perspective. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> no, that was fun. Um, the lo- like, it's just tiring. It it was. It's just a demoralizing thing to have to drive for fourteen hours because you would kind of put in like, okay, like the one day we're like, okay, Columbus is three hours away from Indianapolis. So let's wake up early. We'll just like gas up the car, grab a coffee, and then we'll drive to Columbus and have breakfast there. Like that'll be like nine o'clock. And then there's this town in Pennsylvania right off the highway that looks really cool. Let's stop there for lunch. And then we'll just continue home, like continue all the way to our destination from there. So like you, you break it up and then you get breakfast and you get lunch. You're like, oh man, we've been driving for like six, seven hours. Nice. Like we got to be close to being done. And then you put in the destination. It's like seven hours and 45 minutes remaining. It's like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Like we didn't even make a dent in today so far. Like that's the, de- it's just so demoralizing. It's like you can never, like even when there's three hours left, you're just like, there's still three hours. And then you start, you start comparing time in the most obscene ways where it's like three hours. So that's like if one song on the radio is like three minutes then that's about this exact many songs. So that every song you hear, you're like, all right, 
44 more songs left and then we're there you know it's like just like ridiculous things you start comparing time to um that was the shitty part there like, it was kind of cool to see some states that i've never seen um you know like driving through parts of new mexico were really really cool and then other parts of new mexico was just pure nothingness like we didn't, we didn't even see many cars on the road it was crazy uh texas part that we drove through was just flat nothingness uh but like you drove through like missouri and parts of missouri were really really nice like really cool to see um and then when you get up to like ohio and and pennsylvania like that can be some like really pretty like farmlands and stuff so we did a day in nashville that was pretty cool um but nashville was insane because it was like new year's eve eve it was just pure chaos um but yeah I don't suggest it. <laughs> if like people are like, "Oh, the American road trip," I don't know. Unless you've got three weeks to yeah. stop and enjoy yourself and break it up, it's it's like, no, don't do it. <laughs> no, yeah, I think any trip that in- involves long travel, where the point of the travel is just to get to a different destination, is rarely enjoyable. Whereas, yeah, if you had had, let's say, even a a week to do the driving that you did, you could have at least had three like good destinations that you stopped in, took a break, explored things. Yeah. Sort of really broken the driving up. But the idea of just three sort of back to back days of nonstop driving, but you maybe get to see some things that's never going to be super yeah. enjoyable. Because it sucks. Even when we went to Columbus, we did like Columbus, Ohio for breakfast and we pulled into like a cool neighborhood and we kind of parked, went right to where we wanted to get breakfast, ate breakfast, walked the dog for 10 minutes, and then like we're back in the road. And you're driving and you're like, oh, that looks cool. That looks cool. But it's like, no, we, we can't afford to stop. Like if we stop, we're never going to get to a place that we have to get to. So that's the part that kind of sucks. It's like even when you make the stops, they have to be so short that you can't really even do much exploring. So if maybe, yeah, maybe if you had, if you could do like half a day of exploring, you know, and, and get like a, maybe a lunch, walk around, get dinner as well. Maybe that'd be worth it. Yeah. Did, did get to go to an Arkansas Walmart. Okay. Oof. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> right. Weird, weird review to add in from the trip, but okay. Listeners out there. That was an eye opener. <laughs> if you have also experienced an Arkansas Walmart. You know, follow the Big Jill podcast on Instagram or X, formerly Twitter, and uh, let us know if you also found it to be as noteworthy of an experience as <laughs> did. All right. We've obviously got quite a bit of sports to catch up on. Yeah. Some NFL, Premier League, a handful of other sporting events. Where would you like to start? Uh... Well, I think we should definitely start with the Niners Ravens with your extremely bullish predictions you had made about how you saw no way the Ravens could beat the Niners. And in fact, you said you could foresee the Giants beating the Eagles both games before you could see the Ravens beating the Niners. Might stick to that. In fairness, the the Eagles look absolutely terrible. They still beat the Giants. (laughs) I still feel like I wasn't as far off on that prediction, even though it was going to be 100% wrong. 
it doesn't feel like I was as far off as it's going to look on paper. I know you love it when I say I would do it again, even though I was wrong. I'd probably do that one again. I could predict you would have said that. And I also can predict that you're going to say, I'm not worried at all. (laughs) No, I'm not worried at all. (laughs) It's unbelievable. (laughs) I mean, it is so amazing. I think I feel almost more confident now than I did. <laughs> I knew it. I wish I wrote it down. I fucking wish I wrote it down. I could have held it up. Oh, man. Here's what I'll say. I, do I, I feel less confident about the Niners playing the Ravens in the Super Bowl, which at this point I feel like is very difficult to imagine any other outcome. Like they just look a class above on yeah. in both the AFC and the NFC. And yes, I feel less confident just because the Ravens, not only in terms of how they played against the 49ers, which I think, I don't think the 49ers will play that badly again, but it's more that the Ravens are really hitting their stride and that is concerning. But I feel more confident in that I don't see how the 49ers don't make it to the Super Bowl. Like I can't see who's beating them in the playoffs because every other team in the NFC seems to be getting weaker by the week. Yeah. And it just it's falling into place. But for both the Ravens and the 49ers, now you still have to play the games. Injuries could happen. Weird playoff upsets can happen. But it feels like it's one of those years where they're the two standout teams. And it's difficult to imagine the scenario where either one of them doesn't make the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I have to say, I will be slightly disappointed if that's not the Super Bowl. And again, yes, I mean, any Super Bowl is going to be a good Super Bowl. But I think that game and that thromping set up a great scenario where you get them just dominating through the playoffs and get back and see, you know, how the Niners and especially Shanahan, I think, can respond to what happened and see if they can like counterattack it. And I think that will be a great matchup in this. I think it's now set. That would make a great Super Bowl. And I and I what I don't agree with was the people who will be like, we already saw this game. The Ravens demolished them. Like, who needs to see it again? They're clearly the better team. Because again, that was one game. And yes, I mean, I think they outplayed them in every facet of the game. And I don't think it was a fluke. Like it can't be like, well, the Niners, you know, like they had this and they had that this happened, that happened. Like, no, they they were beat fair and square. Like that was that was a thromping. But I don't think that would happen again. If they played again. Yeah, I mean, so to take away from the Ravens two impressive performances over the last couple of weeks, my takeaway from their performance against the Dolphins was like, whoa, they're just way better. Like, I can't, if they happen to play each other in the playoffs, I give the Dolphins zero chance. Like, I don't see how they could reverse the outcome. The 49ers, I agree with you. Like, I definitely give the Ravens the edge right now. But I'm not going to write them off in terms of thinking that that's the outcome we would see every time they play each other. I think you had Brock Purdy's worst performance as a starter. You've just had a few things kind of just go against them at critical moments in the game, which was both through their own poor play and the Ravens' good play. And on another day, a couple of those things go differently, and the game changes pretty radically. Whereas, now, do you think, let me ask you get to the, the Brock Purdy part, are you so one, I guess to start, do you think 
he started to let it get to him because he looked like he was getting worse as the game went on. I mean, the passes were progressively getting worse. And do you agree with that? And two, are you okay with that because he'll learn and he'll not do it again? Or are you slightly concerned that maybe when things don't go his way, it could be an uh uh-oh moment? No, and I I know you're going to say you knew I was going to say this, but you got to lose games to develop and to learn and you want to then lose regular season games. Like I think that helps him. Ultimately that helps him. The idea that you can just kind of go undefeated, but you do learn, you do learn more from a defeat a lot of times than you will from winning a game. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not happy that they lost, but if they were going to lose a game between now and the end of the end of the season, season meaning Super Bowl, not regular season, then that was the game to lose. So I'm not concerned. Everything about him has shown that he bounces back pretty well. Like he does seem to have that, you know, short-term memory that quarterbacks need. I think we even saw that in the game on Sunday, that he was sort of back to his best, albeit against a you know, far inferior defense. Like the challenge wasn't as big, but he you know, kind of got right back into his rhythm. It would be the criticism of him. We haven't seen him sort of mount, you know, big comebacks. So do I want to be in a situation in the Super Bowl where the Niners are down 13 points to the Ravens at halftime? No, I don't think I'd be super confident in them. But, you know, I think they can prepare better now for the Ravens than they did this time around, probably. And, you know... He can learn from the experience. I'm not, I think people are way too quick to write him off. I think they were way too quick to write him off out of the MVP debate. I mean, Lamar Jackson settled that in terms of then the performance against the Dolphins the week, a week later. But like the takeaway from that Ravens game of, well, Brock Party is no longer an MVP candidate was too extreme to me. And then equally just, you know, there's just a lot of people just waiting for him to slip up so that they can be right about him. I don't know how long that can go for. Like, I don't know, you know, seven seasons from now, can you be like, well, I knew it. I told you he wasn't great. Like there's a moment in time where you have to take the loss on the assessment of a player. It's, uh, but yeah, no, I don't, I have the same level of confidence in this team that I had two weeks ago. Don't know if I have the same level, but (laughs) so if, We'll get into the game because then we obviously have to get into this week's games, which are a little hit, hit or miss. Um, but, you know, you said you don't foresee anyone else besides Ravens, Niners. If you had to have another team that would make it, in, let's just say, like, enjoyable, you'd like to see, you know, not that you think is deserving or this and that that will make a good Super Bowl or like you're going to tune in and not be like, why am I watching this crap? What are the teams in the AF? What is the one team in the AFC and one team in the NFC to replace those? Okay. In the I, think, AFC? Well, I think we're going to agree on the AFC team. I think we're going to agree. You think so? Yeah. I'm going to say the Cleveland Browns. I'm going to say the Cleveland Browns too. 
I think, you know, obviously like the defense aspect is always fun to see in a Super Bowl, like, like a really good defense, but I also just love the Joe Flacco story. Yeah, guys it's, it's fucking a, falling asleep on the sidelines on Sunday night games, <laughs> just dropping dimes to receivers 60 yards downfield. I love it. Yeah, I think it's a cool story. I think obviously, too, it's a team that, ha- you know, it's, it mixes things up. It's a new team to make it there in terms of from a modern perspective. So it would be a cool story for a number of different reasons. So, yeah, I think they're the standout. I also think. If they were to go on a playoff run, you could just tell me that this version of the Browns with Flacco could be the best team in the NFL. Whereas every other, like you cannot convince me that the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, even if they win the Super Bowl. Like I know that sounds stupid, but you know, you know what I mean. Like, will it will add to the Mahomes folklore, and they'll deserve it, and. <laughs> and Kelsey and whatever, but still ultimately you'd be like, well, if we replay those playoffs 10 times, that's the only time they're winning it. Yeah. And whereas the Browns, you could at least, if they were to pull it off, and if that pulling it off included beating the Ravens and the Niners, then you'd have to say they'd really proven themselves over the sort of final three months of the season. Yeah. And it's just it like to me, it's just a really cool story because the Browns have been traditionally bad. But then let's say the past, I don't know, five or seven years, there's been a lot of optimism in the team and it's gone through, you know, like, oh, Baker Mayfield, he's going to save the franchise. Oh, Deshaun Watson, he's going to save the franchise. It's like, no, actually, all along, it was just Joe fucking Flacco. That's all we needed. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, interesting too, right? If it's Joe Flacco playing the the Ravens. Yeah, classic. You know, then you add that storyline in as well. It's, yeah, I think they're the one. I'll say I could tolerate the Bills. I can, I still, I don't think they're that good. The, the Bills are kind of annoying to watch. The more I watch the Bills, the more I just got to get annoyed and frustrated in watching them because they're just so hit or miss. And then... I mean, you you can get talked into thinking they're good and thinking they're bad within three drives of each other. It's it's like it's such a roller coaster. But I agree. I think the Browns would be the best alternative. What about the NFC? I th- I think you've got to say the Cowboys. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I don't want to see the Lions. I, I I'm done with the Lions story, and I like the Lions, but I'm done with the story. I, I I'm this week. With the whole ref controversy thing, it, it kind of, I went the other way with it and it kind of made me hate the Lions a little more. <laughs> and we can get into that later. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the Cowboys, just because they're the Cowboys and you're going to get such crazy opinions on it. And also, I still don't know if anyone in the world knows if Dak Prescott is good or not. And I think just seeing him in a Super Bowl would be fun. Yeah, I'll give the. And if I have to pick a third team in the NFC who I could kind of tolerate, I'll say the Rams, who I think, again, in the second half of the season, have done enough to convince me that they're at least legitimately quite good. But do you want to hear the whole McVay genius storylines leading up to the Super Bowl? No, there's a lot that would annoy me. Also, right, we're talking about a recent winner. Like, it's not as, it's not, it doesn't have the compelling element that, say, the Browns have or even that the Cowboys have. 
but I could at least, again, you could convince me if they then strung together a playoff run on top of what they've done in the second half of the season, I could accept them as being like, not that me accepting them means anything, but you know what I mean? Like I could say, okay, they've quote unquote deserve this. Whereas the Eagles who are just in a tailspin at this point. I don't think anyone point, wants to see the Eagles make the Super Bowl and that includes Eagles fans. <laughs> but no, I mean, I just, I hope for them to crash and burn in the playoffs. I hope this is the end of Nick Sirianni. You know, you don't want to I don't think, for people. Unfortunately, I don't think it's the end for Nick Sirianni, but. I don't know. I don't think but, a team that makes the playoffs, uh, the coach gets fired. But I, so I, I know, I know we made proclamations of what we wouldn't do in 2024. I was listening to a podcast and they were discussing as to whether they would be shocked to find out if Jalen Hurts had been hurt for the past six weeks. And that's why the Eagles have suddenly now not been great and this and that. I took such offense to that just from the standpoint that maybe it's not that Jalen Hurts is hurt, but maybe he's just come back down to earth. Like we've been saying for a really long time now, like maybe this is the real Jalen Hurts where yes, he can put in great performances and he can play well, but he also turns the ball over a lot. He isn't that accurate of a thrower. He does like to scramble and he is going to fumble when he scrambles. Like maybe this is just, the real Jalen Hurts. And we got that like Minnesota Vikings seven and one in, in one score game version of Jalen Hurts last year, where everything just happened to go his way and go the way of the Eagles. And now we're kind of seeing he's not an elite QB, but he's the next tier down and you're going to get some great games and you're going to get some not so great games. I don't think he's hurt at all. Yeah. I mean, also is he really their problem? I mean, we're talking about this, you know, okay, he has a lot also, of turnovers. And when you watch the games, he has a lot of bad decisions in his throws. Sure. But also look at the defensive side of things, right? It doesn't oh, feel yeah. like they can get stops at crucial times. Even if you, you, know, you think of the game this weekend against the Cardinals to take the lead and then for the Cardinals just to march down the field, you know, like as if running were, the ball, running yeah, against the with, Eagles defense. That's supposed to be like the best front in, in the, in the country, yeah. in, uh, in the NFL. Then, you know, that bit, and then you just look back. So since that Cowboys game that they won, you know, the, other, the opposition have scored 23, 17, 34, 42, 33, 20, 25, and 35. So, I mean, if you're Jalen Hurts, you'd probably say, I feel, I don't know why I'm getting blamed for this. No, uh, I, I, and- I'm not blaming him. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, but I'm saying like he isn't at his stats and his presence isn't as great as it was last year. And I think that's just him coming back down to his norm. I do agree with you. I think the defense is atrocious and I don't know. I mean, I would put all the blame on Matt Patricia. That just makes me happy. (laughs) Could they also, could they just stop doing the cute, the, the brotherly shove QB sneak? Every time, like, I understand it's a fairly low risk play. It's the most, it has the highest success rate of any single play in the NFL. But on first and goal from the one, can't you just hand it off to your running back every once in a while? Like, do we need, 
you know, like do we need Jalen Hurts to have 17 rushing touchdowns off of yeah. 18 yards? <laughs> yeah, like isn't there a moment? I I get it on a fourth down, even third down. You're just saying let's pick up this yard, but on first and goal from the one, can't you just hand it off? Well, you know, what like, bothers do- you more? That on first and goal on the one, they do the tush push every time, or that at least five times a game we have to hear the announcer say, you know, Nick Sirianni says every drive they're starting down first and nine, first and nine, because they got the tush push if they need it. First and nine. I'm so tired of this first and nine garbage. I'm okay with the first and goal if you just stop saying first and nine. We get it. We get he likes to do it, and he knows he knows he's going to do it. Yeah, I mean, let's get scared rid of both. And I'm not saying I have no problem with the play. I'm not saying like it needs to be. No, I get I, I get exactly what you're saying, where it's just like run a normal play on first and goal. Like, yeah, we don't need to see this crap. <laughs> like this is you just kind of it feels like if you were playing someone at Madden and they've just like figured out that one play and they're just yeah. doing it over and over again. Yeah. And you're just saying like, can't you just run a different play? Like, I get it. I'm not saying you're not cheating. But can't you just run something else? Yeah. Like, do you need to be this boring? And I don't know what they're trying. Like, you're not proving anything by doing what they're doing. So just every once in a while, hand the ball off. And if anything, if you were to fumble, like, do it a couple times. And if something goes wrong with the handoff, that then reaffirms the approach of the tush push. But right now, it's like you probably would score anyway. So why don't you just do that, and then we can not talk about it every time. <laughs> All right, other notable takeaways from the NFL over the last couple of weeks. What do you have? Um, I guess let's go to that Detroit Lions-Cowboys game that was on uh, New Year's Eve Eve. Yeah, Saturday night, yeah. Yeah, a rare Saturday night game. Um, I- it's it's a really tough one. I and I you know because I w- at times I do wish the refs were mic'd up like throughout the entire game. I think that would add a better level of understanding where you could really go in and see from what it looks like and what the Lions have said, it does seem like that person came in number 68 and checked in. What is then the issue I have is then the ref says that 70 has checked in and he tells the defense that 70 has checked as eligible. If you're a defense now and you have not been told that number 68 is now eligible, you're not going to cover number 68. So the fact that they, that play converts and they score, I think there's a slight overreaction to the fact that had the Cowboys been told the right number, that someone would have said like, hey, that guy randomly checked in as eligible. They haven't done it all game. Someone keep an eye on that guy. Like, And maybe that doesn't happen. But you can't say that they got completely screwed because it worked when the defense wasn't given the proper information to defend that play. So that kind of pisses me off a little bit with the whole Lions things. But then just Dan Campbell in himself is just full on psycho because after they get that penalty, 
why the hell is he going for it? The two-point conversion from the seven. That's just like full psycho mode. And he gets partially saved with the defensive offside where it goes back to the four and then he continues to keep doubling down. But like that's the guy at a blackjack table where someone's just like, dude, I get you're trying to show you're aggressive, but you need to step away from this table before you lose your mortgage because you can't keep doubling down, man. Yeah, look, I agree with you. Some people are debating this as if it's in a vacuum where the reporting of number 70 being eligible would have had zero impact on the Cowboys. So you're right. Like you don't know how effectively the play would have worked had the correct officiating been implemented. Probably still would have worked, but you never know. Like you can't convince me that all of those players who've kind of who bit on the play fake would have acted completely differently just by watching, by sort of knowing that a different player was potentially eligible. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the double. But I mean, down, like, especially, right? I like, guess if they're playing man, right? Say, like, you're playing man, then if that guy's eligible, someone mans up on him. And it, you're right. Maybe that guy bites on the fake anyway. But, like, if, like, if that's the case and they're playing a, a, a man defense, then, like, no one's covering him because they don't think he's eligible, right? So, like, you you like it just pisses me off a little bit that everyone doesn't take that aspect into consideration a little. Yeah, no, you're. I agree with you, but I and the doubling down on it makes no sense. I mean, it's psychotic. <laughs> Do you think he was I, so blinded with rage that he just didn't even realize? <laughs> maybe, or maybe they just made the calculation of. Who cares? Like, we don't really care what happens in this game. So rather than waste time in overtime, let's just end it one way or the other here. I mean, that's the that's the only sort of logical defense you can provide for him. But And it's a shame. It's a shame from an NFL perspective that, like, every week a game is being marred by pretty bad officiating. Like, that doesn't, you know, that's unfortunate. But... The lucky thing, right, is this kind of doesn't matter too much. Yeah, that's where the NFL gets super lucky. Had that this... cost the Lions a playoff spot? Oh, my God. <laughs> now, I guess the people saying the Eagles probably feel differently. You know, the Eagles are probably looking at yeah. that thinking they can win the division with, you know, if if the Lions have won that game, but still... Um, yeah, I think they're fortunate. It will be forgotten about. I mean, the, the takeaway from it is how chaotic would NFL offenses be if everyone was, were eligible? <laughs> you know, like, I feel like this has, isn't discussed enough. Like how radically different would NFL offenses it becomes look? like flag football? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know, but does it or do like three teams do that? Is it like the wildcat where... You know, some teams try it for a little bit and then they realize, actually, you know what? The sort of structure we had in place does make more sense because every once in a while we're just getting guys sacked, you know? Like, <laughs> so, yes, we've got, we, I don't know. It would be an interesting thing. Like, do we need this rule still? Could you not just have every offensive lineman is eligible? Oh my God, it'd be chaos. Would it be? I'd be interested yeah, to see. I think it would be. I think it would be pure chaos. I think at that point, then you pull the Tom Cruise Top Gun Maverick 
and have two footballs and each team playing offense and defense at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a little bit more extreme than I'm going for. <laughs> All right. What else? I mean, obviously, when we preview this weekend, there's a lot to play for for different teams. But actually, it doesn't feel like... I think we should many... save that for next podcast. Yeah, but it doesn't feel That's like there's too many... That's one of my favorite many... things is us going through like the permutations. Oh, but you're right, which... there's not as many. And it, it's, it was a relatively straightforward couple of weeks. There weren't that many upsets. For the most part, things went to plan. Yeah, I mean... I guess I'll let you take it to me a little bit with the Steelers. <laughs> now uh looks like they're going to finish above 500, right? They're 9 and 7 now. Yeah, they can't have a losing season. So already that is I still secured. think they'd be one of the all-time worst teams to ever make the playoffs. <laughs> they they probably won't make the playoffs. This is the good news for you. They probably won't, but they could. You know what? Is it though? Because part of me would love to see them make the playoffs and then get absolutely demolished by who would that be? I don't even know. Three seed Chiefs. You might get something you really don't want though. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think that's a lose lose for you almost. No, Chiefs win that by 35. And if they do, I don't think it really proves you right. Because I don't think the defending Super Bowl champions beating the Steelers in the first round of the playoffs shows that they're frauds. But <laughs> there is a possibility that they beat this Chiefs team, who really are not particularly good. And then that would be a difficult... this For you to stick by the Steelers are frauds when they're going rolling into round two of the playoffs would be, <laughs> would be a difficult one. All right, so I guess that wraps up the little NFL catch-up. Let's do, before we switch sports completely, Okay. let's do a quick college football catch-up. Obviously, oh, yeah. the semifinals of the Great college, football, semifinals. college football playoffs were played yesterday. Both came down to the wire. Yep. Very different games in terms of style scoring uh do you feel like the right teams won yeah absolutely i mean so i have being on the west coast i have the unique perspective i think that i watch a lot more pac-12 well what once was the pac-12 games than most people and I think even like big college football fans, just because, I mean, you're staying up at like three in the morning on the East Coast if you're watching, you know, like Washington or Oregon or something like that. I have always been really high on Washington, mostly because of Penix and uh, Odunze. Like, especially I think Penix, you know, like even when he was at Indiana and he ran a lot more before he had two torn ACLs. Uh you know, he was always just like a game-changing QB. And I think in college, I mean, this might sound stupid, but in, I think in college, a really good QB matters a lot more than in the NFL where, like, you can just show me two teams that are playing each other. And if one has a distinctly better QB, I would take that team almost all the time, even if they're like defense sucks or whatever, just because, like, it 
the defenses just aren't as good in college. So a really good QB can just really expose a team. Um, and like, he's been that he's been, he's a game changer Penix. And like when I was talking to people over the holiday about, you know, the, the playoffs, I said, like, I think Washington's got a good shot to win it because he's clearly the best QB out of those four, like by a lot. And I still do think they have a good chance to win it. I mean, I think their defense isn't as great. They don't have the size that a lot of teams have, especially Michigan and Alabama, definitely like on the line side, they're just enormous, but like, you just can't rule him out. So I don't know. I I think, yeah, I think Alabama, I do think they deserve to be there, but I definitely think Michigan was the better team and Michigan almost cost themselves that game and still won despite not playing their best football. And I think Washington was definitely a better team than Texas. And tech, that ending shouldn't have even happened had the Washington player not gotten hurt and cost his team 40 seconds of running the clock down at the very end. Like, and then the kicker interference that gave them another 50. Like, that was a crazy ending that Texas almost got ridiculously lucky for. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a better national championship than people think. Yeah, I mean it's obviously lacking. It's obviously lacking SEC representation, which I think is the first time since 2013, and it feels like it's lacking star power, which either comes from the school itself having the kind of powerhouse school, which is doing a slight disservice to Michigan because they've been good for the last three years. You know, kind of legitimate been the last three years. <laughs> yeah, legitimate national t- sort of championship contenders in that period. But I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with Washington and being a West Coast team. Like, I don't think they get the national exposure ever. No, I think you're definitely right there. But I also just think we've become so accustomed to SEC representation, the idea that the SEC is the best conference and that you're proving yourselves. Like, I think if Michigan ends up winning, people will feel like they've proven themselves because – they have the Ohio State win. They beat Alabama. I think if Washington ends up winning, people will poke holes in the resume because, you know, and feel like almost you should have to beat someone from the SEC to win the national title, like in the playoff structure, you know, um, which is unfair. But yeah, I, I which don't Which is also I don't, really unfair because the Pac 12 is actually quite good this year. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, it's, 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 it's a shame actually that they're disbanding the Pac-12 because it's the first year they were actually pretty legitimately good. The person who I don't think, and I give Nick Saban some credit. I watched his post-game press conference where he spoke pretty openly about the play calling for their fourth down. It's a terrible play call. Like I just don't love a QB to draw being the thing you're running because it's so... I know this sounds stupid, but it's so hit or miss. Like it's all or nothing in a way that there's no way for the quarterback to salvage the play if the gap isn't there. And I don't love that as the thing you're going to go down to. But he did say that basically they had a really great play call on the first when they lined up originally. Michigan called a timeout. Then they had a second when they lined up the second time. They didn't have a good look, which is why they called the timeout. And then they decided to go for the QB draw. I know it's questionable. It's questionable. I don't love it. So I guess my, yeah. And then I also heard what Saban said was he knew 
or they knew that Michigan was going to bring the pressure on the line. And they, in anticipation of that thought, if they were going to rush super hard, that they could kind of, you know, push them away to a side to open up some lane right down the middle for that QB draw. I respect the fact that, again, especially in college football, put the ball in the, your best player's hands with a shot to win the game. I'm okay with that. And I respect that. And I would probably do the same, you know, like game changers in college football for sure. I don't like that. You're making a play call reacting off of what the defense is going to do like that to me. I, I you're on offense. You should be dictating. Like don't, I, I don't like that thinking. I don't like that mentality a little bit. And I don't, I agree with you. I don't like that. The QB draw is very hit or miss. Whereas you could have rolled him out and just, I guess, really hoped that they didn't anticipate a like rollout and put like three guys to, you know, to cover wide. But I would have liked the idea of a rollout and giving him a run pass option. Still put the ball in his hands, but let him make the decision that wins or loses you the game, but at least give him a little better option than a QB draw where you are one blocker short of how many people they have in the box, which, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. As I said, I just want to play where there's a plan B potential in the play. I think, I think we've seen the evolution of football enough to know that's when some of the most spectacular plays get made. I also think, you know, you're still putting the hands in your playmaker, putting the game in the hand of your playmaker, but you're, giving him the possibility then of legitimately making a play, not just like, I actually think if you're, you're saying like, well, we had to put the ball into the hands of our game changing player. It's like, well, is him just steamrolling forward? The thing like, (laughs) is like that the thing that's going to make, that's what makes him special is that he could run straight pretty fast. Like that's because that's all you're asking him to do at that point. Like he's not going to be able to react to anything that happens in front of him. So that was a shame. And look, in a sense, the luckiest player, I think, in getting lost in all of this, on the previous play, the wide receiver, we talk about it all the time, right? Pulling up short of the end zone, like unnecessarily, that's one of those plays where you've you've really hurt your quarterback in the process. Like that, I fully believe he could have gone, you know, at least, and he could have at least been right on the goal line. Yeah. And then you really change the scenario if it's fourth and goal from the one yard or shorter. But, but yeah, no, it was an exciting game. I kind of, I don't know. I, I feel somewhat disappointed that Alabama is not there just because I, mean, I, I don't like think they were that great. <laughs> the <laughs> offense were, I mean, did not look that good. What, what do you have like a hundred yards passing? No, I mean, I mean their punter was almost their MVP, but yeah. that's, you know, it's still, I don't know. I'm because I'm a total neutral in the college football world. I do like the idea that you even, you know, that you got to beat, you kind of going to knock off the champion. And obviously, Georgia would have been that. But seeing as Alabama handled that part of it, it felt like, I mean, for Michigan, again, it works out, but I don't know. I'm going to, I don't want Michigan to win it because I yeah. just find Harbaugh to be insufferable. Oof. But, yeah. 
And that's not because I, a 49ers related thing. JJ McCarthy, the biggest fork on the planet. But I, (laughs) I find, I find Jim Harbaugh to be different. And I also think, right, on the back of a cheating scandal, this looks so bad for college. This isn't, it's not great. And I hate that they like kind of talk about it, but don't, they almost talk about it in a positive light. And that drives me insane. It's oh, like, no, despite being suspended for four yes. games, he's still in the national championship. Like, no, how is that the rhetoric? How is the rhetoric not, is this guy a fucking cheater and doesn't deserve to be here? Like, that should be the rhetoric. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, you're right. There's like a resilience in this Michigan yeah. team because they yeah. cheated. Couldn't even be on the sidelines for three games. And yeah. he's still in the national championship. But also just as a collective. It's like the, t- the togetherness of the team as a whole. Yeah. Like, oh, my, how they all stuck together in the face of, you know, national scrutiny. It's like, well, they were cheating. Yeah. Like, no one's giving Lance Armstrong credit for still plugging away in a triathlon. You know, like, there's, we yeah. got to be, there's got to be some sort of, you know, context to everything you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be an exciting game. I think, you know, a, a really strong offense against a really big, powerful, vicious defense. I think it's, I think it'll be fun to watch. Um, I kind of hope Washington wins and I, I I would like to see Penix have a really good game. It's just, he, he is fun to watch. Like he actually reminds like watching Joe Flacco and then watching him. It's just like, he does not get like, he doesn't give a shit. He'll drop a ball into the tiniest of windows and not hesitate. And he's got a like a really nice touch on those deep balls, and it's it'll it'll be fun. I I I'm gonna pick Washington. I think partly because that's what I'd like to see, and partly because I think they've been underestimated all season. All right, Premier League turn, I guess. Yeah, we know City's gonna win. Yeah, We're fine we can now. we can keep it quick. Well, no, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll say this: Reiner will be back. Holland will be back. Yes, City. Hey, you. City will win by 20. <laughs> I mean, I'll put it this way. I mean, you, I think, I think Arsenal have completely blown their chance. Done. Like I can't, you can't tell me. Do they me finish above a vil- of Aston Villa now? I mean, you know, one of my bold predictions coming into the season was that they don't finish in the top four and I've not given up hope on that, but no, I think they finished third, but I, I really hope they, they, that the, the wheels really come off. I said to former co-host Sam, somewhat who, <laughs> <laughs> somewhat jokingly, who goes first, Arteta or Ten Hag? And I'm not. And he said, "Oh, you're creating storylines for the podcast." <laughs> <laughs> you should have said what podcast. You're not fucking on it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but. Legitimately, I can see a scenario here where if the wheels do come off for Arsenal over the next couple of months, if there's an early Champions League exit in the knockout stages, if they end up with no silverware, you're talking about a manager who spent a lot of money now. And if it feels like they're a long way from legitimately contending, you do start to question him. There's been a couple of seasons full of praise about the amazing atmosphere and the development of young players. But they, Arsenal could get to the end of this season and still feel like they are, you know, a massive distance away from being legitimate title contenders. And 
I could see a scenario where he goes. Ten Hag, I mean, is obviously kind of dead man walking to a certain extent, so he's the odds-on favorite in that battle. But yeah, I, I think you really look at them, and I'm not super impressed. Yeah, it's so I watched, uh, was it the follow match? Yeah, and it was, yeah, it was not, yes, imp- not impressive is probably the way I would put it as well. Um, especially compared to, you know, last season where, I, yeah, they just don't look the same. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. And you're right, maybe. I, I don't, I don't, what do you, what would you put the odds right now on that? On just which one of them goes first? Yeah. Ten Hag would be one to three favorite. And then like four to four to five to one or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, that are. seems about right. But you could convince me there's a chance. That's the thing is you could legitimately tell me that Arteta is not Arsenal manager at the start of next season. I can I believe mean, the thing it. with United, too, is they just go on these weird runs. Where I think, like, I I honestly feel like we've at least in three podcasts have said, like, have they slightly righted the ship? Like, are they trending in the right direction? And then two weeks later, it's like, they look awful. <laughs> it's like, so maybe they get on a run and they stay on a run. And then, you know, he starts giving the, like, give me another season or two. And, you know, like, I can, I can continue to turn this around. Like, give me some time with players that I want. Yeah, I mean, the tough thing for him is that his recruitment in has not been great and the players he's obviously strongly pushed for and recommended for the most part have not worked out obviously Anthony being the biggest failure of the lot so that's the <laughs> thing that hurts him is you see, I don't get convinced with Ten Hag that with more time he can build a better squad now with Arteta I don't know if I'm convinced he can put together a title winning squad either because kind of look at it Gabriel Jesus didn't solve any of their problems. The goal-scoring element remains completely unaddressed. Declan Rice, he's a good signing, but it's not really what they needed. You, you then also kind of splashed the boat out on a goalkeeper, seemingly just because he was available. Like I don't think there's any other reason behind that. You know, so obviously these aren't the managers making these decisions necessarily, but you'd have to imagine that Arteta at least has veto power when it comes to signing so something like signing David Rea he must have been able to say we don't need another goalkeeper like this isn't where I want the money for 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 something else like we need a goal scorer (laughs) we are looking at completely the wrong end of the pitch here in terms of signings so yeah I don't know but Liverpool is this going to be a two-team race then the big issue for Liverpool right is the next month with Mo Salah being away playing for Egypt like that hurts them a lot and I think they now let me ask you this as a player because I actually did want to bring this up is there any way you stay and play for your club instead of your country I don't think you can I think if you, because it's a difficult one to come back from. So I don't. How about, how about a different scenario? I guess Liverpool might not be the best example. Let's say, let's say Liverpool haven't won a trophy in decades. Yeah. 
then uh-huh. is it a little bit more? <laughs> is I there think any, if it were, you know what I mean? Like, it's tough. I think if it were closer to the end of the season, yes. But given, you know, it's still an important part, but still, I don't know. You'd feel like, it's you'd think it's a bit selfish. Sal has an interesting case, right? Because he's won it with Egypt in 2019. So the Egyptians can't feel like it's a tournament he's completely turned his back on or he hasn't delivered the goods in. I would be tempted. Like I would be, I'd be kind of tempted, but it's a hard, it's a bad look. And it comes across as quite dismissive, right? As of the African cup of nations, because if the euros were randomly played during the season, and an England player was saying, well, no, I'm going to sit out. I'd be saying, fuck him. He never plays for England again. You know, like <laughs> if Harry Kane said, no, I've got to stick here to play for Bayern Munich. I'd be like, well, that's the end of Harry Kane's England career. <laughs> and it feels a little bit, it's quite, I guess, insulting to these smaller nations and to the African competition to say, well, but isn't it more important to stick and play for Liverpool and maybe win the Premier League than to win a major tournament with your country? So I don't want to fall into that trap. But I will say, and this is completely, you know, anecdotal secondhand information, but I've never met many Africans who care that passionately about the African Cup of Nations. <laughs> I live in a country where obviously there's a huge African contingent. And when it gets to the the semifinals and the finals, they can get pretty worked up about it. But you don't hear, there's not a buzz surrounding the tournament for, you know, weeks ahead of time or during the group stages. So I don't think it's only foreigners who are more dismissive of the significance of the tournament. But yeah, I think. What if Harry Kane, what if Harry Kane was playing for Dortmund? Then are you still <laughs> fuck Harry Kane? He's not. He's not coming back to England. Yeah, it would be. It would be more understandable, but still, I couldn't. No, I think if. I I do I am a big believer in the idea, like I don't think players in any sport should ever retire from international duty. For example, like, I don't think you should say I'm retiring from playing for England. I think you should be so honored to represent your country, that you would represent them under any circumstances. I agree. But isn't there the scenarios though, where like it's more beneficial because then there's no like slight obligation of the country to potentially have to put this player in and, you know, like it makes the decision easier for the, for the international team in a way. I think if you're, I think you're, you're kind of right, but I do think if, if you can't make those kind of sensible decisions, then you're in big trouble. Well, let's say, anyway. okay, let's take Harry Kane as the example, right? Yeah. Next World Cup, he's definitely on the squad. Yeah. Okay. Next World Cup. So he would be 36, 37. I mean, I would say he probably won't be, <laughs> but. I mean, if put it this way, if he's still scoring 15 goals a season, and 
and you tell me you're putting him in the squad, particularly given his, I mean, it looks not so great coming off the last World Cup, but particularly given his penalty-taking ability, that you tell me we want Harry Kane sitting on the bench if we're going to a penalty shootout with all of his experience, we want him on the pitch to take one. Yeah, I would have no issue with it. I mean, I think the scenarios where you have these huge you know, dilemmas as to whether or not you continue to select a player, they're rare. And I, it, it would be quite a, an egotistical statement from a player, right? To be like, look, I'm not retiring for myself. I'm retiring so that there's no huge debate as to whether I should continue to be selected. Like, um, no, I think, I just think you keep going. I think you just keep going. And then if we pick Harry Kane when he's 76 years old, good for him. <laughs> you know, like that's. All right. Let's predict England's squad for the next, next World Cup. I, you know, it, I give them credit. There's plenty of publications that do that where they'll, they'll be looking like 16 years ahead to try and predict England's, England. And it's amusing to look back on them and see who they got right or who was just a completely ridiculous inclusion. But Is Phil Foden on the squad? In two World Cups time? Yeah. So he'd be like 30... He'd, he'd be like, like 23. <laughs> yeah. I think we know quite a few players who obviously barring injuries, you know, you can look at that England squad and pick, I don't know, 10 players who will be there in two world cups, maybe even more. So yeah, I think you could make a pretty confident selection. Not only that, I think you could probably p- pick four or five players who probably be starting. And you'd be pretty confident that that you'll be right. You know, in a sense, you don't want to be because you want there to be new emerging talent. But I mean, like you'd bet your house, right? That Jude Bellingham is starting. (laughs) Like you'd say Saka is definitely starting. Declan Rice. Probably. You'd think Foden probably will be starting. So we got to four that I feel. Yeah, it gets trickier. It's always the issue with England. <laughs> it gets a little trickier, but how old is John Stones? Too old. Too yeah, old to be he's doing a that. Too old, right? But yeah, I guess that's the uh, Premier League pretty much caught up on. We got um, any random other sporting events to cover? Oh one of a topic we have discussed on a number of occasions. Oh, don't God, know if you don't, saw... don't fucking try and backdoor live golf. And no live golf, okay. but another topic you hate. Naomi Osaka made her return or winning return to the world of tennis. And, uh, I actually didn't see that at all. Yeah. A topic that we obviously have to tread delicately on. Former co-host Sam was the one who got most annoyed when we would call her out, but Look, I like athletes speaking openly about the challenges that they face with mental health. I like normalizing the discussion surrounding mental health. She's got to give it a break, though, now. Her motivation... Oh, my God. Her motivation for coming back, supposedly, is she's had a daughter, is to prove to her daughter that anything is possible. Now, what... Your former world number one 
I mean, I get it. Not many women have had children and then come back and won, but it has been done. Is that specifically what she wants to prove? She didn't say that. She just wanted to prove that anything is possible. She didn't really pinpoint which what? challenges she was she was kind of what she's going to do that's going to prove that. No, could just be playing tennis. I, I don't know. It's somewhat unclear, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, she's the Grand Slam winner already, right? Yeah, like, multiple former world number that one. Anything's possible. I wouldn't say so. And I look again, I don't want to rip into it. And obviously people's children are a big motivation for them. I just feel like give it a rest. Like not everything needs to be you talking about the sort of mental side of your life and how difficult your life is. Like there's just moments in time where multi, multi, multi millionaires who've had incredibly successful, like you, you don't even know you're born in a sense compared to the struggles that a lot of people are going through. So to be relentlessly speaking about how the, all these things you're overcoming and how difficult life is, it just makes you insufferable after a certain moment in time. Do you think, I mean, again, I haven't heard this, so I'll, I'll, I'll play the defender's corner. Do you, do you think maybe she was just had a poor way of saying she wants to show her child that she can be successful? Like, that she just wants to continue to play tennis so that her child can grow up watching her win tournaments and see like that her mother is a great tennis player and kind of just came out weird. Because I think that could be a motivation. I think that would be kind of cool, right? To have kids and have your kids be able to watch you be great at a sport. Like, you know, like Tom Brady is a good example, you know, like towards the later end of his career, his kids got to see him be the GOAT. And that's got to be pretty fun as a, as a, as a father or a mother, you know, to be able to, to have your child see that. I think you've done as good of a job defending her as you possibly could have done. And look again, she doesn't deserve massive criticism there, but no, I don't think that's what she's saying. I do think she's saying with the context of the mental health elements in mind, with the context of being not just, this would be really cool for my child to see me do something really, really well, which that would have been a great answer to say like having a child has put everything in perspective for me. So maybe tennis isn't as important as it once was. There are other things in my life, but it will still be really like, it's a big motivator to show my children to let them get to see me do something really well and get to see me succeed and to inspire them. Fine answer. But I don't think that's what she's saying. At what saying, age do you think as a child of a great athlete, do you go from being, this is so cool, my father or mother is great at this sport, to being like, God damn it, I have to live in their shadow now? <laughs> at what age does that switch? <laughs> I don't think it ever would for me. I would have no problem. I mean, obviously didn't get to experience it. But I don't think, like being Michael Jordan's kids and people ripping into them, like big shoes to fill and, oh, you didn't like, you didn't get the genes that made your dad great. <laughs> Who cares? Like still really cool life. You know, like I don't think I would be find the it to be like a burden of expectations to follow in their footsteps. I think I would just enjoy the fact that your parents do something cool and that you get to watch it or, you know, or that you get to see. I always think that 
any occupation where you could get to see maybe people really appreciating the impact that your parents have had. Like I'm, you know, I always thought that if my parent, like when I would, sometimes you'd see someone say to a teacher in front of one of their kids, like, oh, wow, you, you know, you meant so much to me as a teacher, the impact you had on my life. Like that would be a very cool thing to get to see someone say to one of your parents. And I think the athlete thing would be the same. Someone walking up, if you're Tom Brady's kid, someone coming up and being like, oh, that, you know, like that Patriots team like meant the world to me, all those Super Bowl wins. That would, I don't think that would ever get old. The only thing that would get old is people trying to get to your parents through you. That's the bit that would get old. Would, would a part that get old be like when you're seven years old and people are like, ripping into your father about like how much money he costs them or how much they hate him because they're yeah. a Jets fan <laughs> or, or a podcast ripping into your mother for saying that he, she wanted to <laughs> only half the podcast did <laughs> no yeah that would be the more difficult part but you know and yeah but but I still think overall be very very cool all right any other sports topics to cover? No, not really. I think we'll do a deep dive into playoff scenarios in week 18 next week. All right, week 18? Yeah. I always get so confused still because the bye, so it's an extra week. They play 17, but there's 18 weeks. Yes, we'll get into that. Um, also, we can discuss whether the right game was chosen for the Sunday night flex. Because I yeah. think there's a little bit of a debate as to what the better game would have been. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Even some of the Saturday selections. I know that's not a flex thing as much, but still, uh, you know, I don't know if necessarily they've put the best lineup of primetime games, of, you know, on display. Also, we'll preview this by saying, if you're the Niners, are you putting in your starters next week? Um, no. I'm definitely not putting McCaffrey in. Um, I'm definitely I'm, not putting Debo in. <laughs> no. I mean, the debate becomes, I guess, right? Do you They're going like to have another have... bye week, so they're not going to have played... For almost a month yeah there's always the rustiness element but then there's also the just the question about do you do you feel like you have an obligation to either McCaffrey or Purdy to play them just in case for an MVP you know like or incentives I mean contract incentives yeah we never know on that front I mean we I do with I would, I would actually, that would be really interesting to see some of the discussion there where like, let's say Brock Purdy's one touchdown pass away from $500,000 incentive. Do you think they go to him and say like, Hey, listen, we're going to sit you, but we're going to give you the incentive. <laughs> that has to happen. I, I bet. I don't know if you're allowed to do that. I you don't like, think so? I feel like with the like collective bargaining agreement that I that guess just, you're right. You're probably just, right. You probably can't. You can't just pay someone a bonus. You might be able to find a creative way to get them the money. 
you might be like, hey, right. we've token. We can. We've token. That would we've, suck, right? We've spoken to this local Toyota dealership and they're going to pay you <laughs> $500,000 to, you know, make an appearance next Sunday. That you could probably, I'm sure there's some interesting workarounds that you can do. But I bet you with a collective bargaining agreement, you can't just say, hey, you know what? We're, we're benching you, but we're going we're gonna to honor that bonus. I mean, then do you go the other way? And Brock Purdy says, like, no, fuck it. I got a lot of money on the line. I'm playing. <laughs> I think if you're a quarterback, no, because you should know that <laughs> enough money is coming your way at some point. I could see some other position players, you know, like if offensive or defensive linemen where that's maybe like a million, uh, you know, $2 million bonus, you might be thinking, well, that's a, that's a lot of money for me. So yeah. there I could see being selfish. But now if you're if you're a quarterback and you're making big decisions like that based on five hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, I think you you're you're missing some of the Yeah, but he only makes six hundred K a year. He, <laughs> he does. He does. I mean there'll be no bonuses up for grabs for him, right? Like he's not got to that point in his career. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, they always talk about that, right? That's always one of those week 18 conversations where they're going to say, like, George Kittle is four receptions away from a $1.5 million bonus. And, you know, you do watch him get targeted. So how about this one then? Not the Niners. What about the Chiefs? Locked into the three seed, but their offense just does not seem to still be clicking. Do you put it out there to try and get some rhythm going into the playoffs or do you let them rest? No, I think if you're locked in to your pillow spot or if you're even if you're not locked in, but it's like a negligible difference, like, well, we could drop to the four seed. I think you just you rest. You don't do a preseason and do like two or three drives. No, because then Mahomes get, gets injured in the first quarter and your season ends. <laughs> you know, like I think the risk reward, the, the risk is a lot higher than the reward. But but yeah, no, I don't I think you'd sit players wherever possible. I don't really believe that rust can kick in in three weeks, you know, when you're practicing and stuff. I, I, you know, I can't believe that you're that like that NFL players have to be that in tune to really have the offense working perfectly or the defense. So I think you just give the players the rest, let them feel healthier. That you say the risk is higher than a reward, but in a meaningless college bowl game, you are not with the first round draft pick that sits out for risk of getting injured. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> you know I've caught you there. No, you haven't. It's not meaningless. It's not meaningless. It because is. I think, it's completely meaningless. No, I think you you sign up to play for a team and you're you're playing for the season. You're making you're making yourself look, I would feel differently about a player in the NFL sitting out if you told me the 49ers asked Brock Purdy to play and he said no I'm resting myself for the playoffs I'd have an issue with it but if you tell me that as a team you make this collective decision that it's better to rest certain players that's fine that's just managing your squad I think when you start a season with a team in college football you're signed up to be there through to the end not to opt out when you've made the individual decision that I can't benefit anymore from this team succeeding. Because it's a certain moment in time 
you were relying on that team to help you and now you got to help them back you know but those games have, are meaningless maybe they're meaningless but then you could argue most of the games are meaningless i don't know yeah i, I think I, but that's the thing right, well, here's the thing right this to me these bowl games are starting to become like the pro bowl like there is there's nothing to it. The, there's a playoff system now. And if you don't make the playoffs, you just get like a consolation game. So like in the NFL, if they had consolation games, I'm sure a lot of players would opt out because like they wouldn't want to play in a meaningless game that had no impact on anything. I don't know. I think we in the world of insurance and stuff that we have, right? It, we, sometimes people talk about this as if, well, there's millions of dollars up for grabs and otherwise they won't have it. Like, you can, you know, have all the insurance cover you, coverage you need to protect yourself against potential injury. Obviously, that only protects you financially. It doesn't necessarily protect you in terms of your actual A, health, and B, wanting to achieve Career. things. <laughs> like, yeah. They can't, like, it can't be like insurance where it's like, listen, you didn't get drafted, but we're going to put you in the NFL anyway. <laughs> in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go get We're going to make sure you're a starting QB with one leg. We know your right arm fell off in that in the in the Sugar Bowl, but we're now. It's a very unique insurance package. Yeah, um, but no, I don't know. I, th- I just yeah. I, well, think... I think the other issue too, right, is I think that this transfer portal is a little bit insane, and that's something they definitely need to fix. Like, I don't understand how the transfer portal is before the full season is completed. And I understand that some of the reasons are obviously because there's actually universities linked to these programs. So it's like you need to transfer so that way you can get into another university. I'm sure that has some issue with it. But when you ignore the fact that these players are actually students in every other aspect of the game, then don't tell me that's the reason that we have this terrible time window for a transfer portal that starts one week before the playoffs start like just do it when the playoffs are done and when everything's over like because even for teams that are in the playoffs there are some players that are in the portal and aren't playing on those playoff teams and that's that's fucking stupid like that's where it really sucks and it sucks for both it sucks for the team because they've lost a player and it probably sucks for a lot of players who like kind of do want to jump in the transfer portal because they're not getting playing time but then they can't because they're on a playoff team you know, and they don't want to run that risk that maybe they get some exposure in like a national championship. So that that is stupid. Like when what was it? Twelve players on Florida State were in the transfer portal and weren't playing. Like that's stupid. Yeah, I mean, I. It wouldn't have helped them anyway. They still would have lost by fucking sixty because <laughs> they suck. But <laughs> there's a lot that could be fixed in college football. That is one of the things. But I think, yeah. There are a lot of problems facing college football. It'll be interesting to see what version of college football exists 10 years from now, because I think it will be radically different to the setup that we see now. But who knows? Away from sports, any TV or movie recommendations? No, it's really tough to watch like a show in the car when you're in a car for 72 hours. Um, I don't think I really watched much of anything. If it wasn't sports, you know, I was kind of busy, you know, traveling around the country. Um, just Friday Night Lights just continues to be a rewatchable show. 
uh, just really holds up well. You know, some of those storylines, <laughs> not icky at all. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I've not watched too much that's not purely sports. I did finish Squid Game, the challenge. That's the real version. That's the yeah the game show version of it. Did it have a satisfying ending? Not really. I mean, still, it's just an interesting sort of, you see how stupid people are. Like that was just, the, the stupidity of people became frustrating as I watched it. It's the reason why I don't really watch reality TV shows in general. And obviously this one was a bit, of, a bit different. But that was the, to me, that was the biggest issue was just. Was it scripted? No. I mean, I'm sure like any reality TV show, there were probably moments where people were told to, you know, we need a bit of drama. How about you two don't like each other? I'm sure that those types of things may have happened, but no, it was supposedly, supposedly not. Um, But yeah, it was, it, it would probably be fun to do. You can sign up right now to try and be on season two. It's kind of tempting, but at the same time, your odds of winning are really slim. And I don't know how much fun it necessarily would be if you just get eliminated kind of like straight away. And and most of it, the one criticism I would have of it is they actually removed a lot of the need. Like you would have gone into it thinking, oh, there's some advantage to being strong or fit or whatever. And they kind of removed all of those elements. And they really added the like social element in terms of people being voted off. That became like a bigger part of it. That's why I got to go on the Korean 100 show instead where, where strength and physique matters. <laughs> I like that they, because I do like the idea that there are people in their seventies on the show and you want to make it possible, but you could do that through team events. Like you could have had a the tug of war was a big thing in the original, in the TV show. There was no tug of war this time around. You could have had tug of war and obviously it's a downer to have the 74 year old woman on your team for the tug of war, but you could still win depending on what the makeup of the rest of the team was. So, you know, I think there'd be people who signed up for that, who were probably disappointed in terms of the challenges that they ended up getting to go through and also just people getting like randomly voted out. It would have pissed me off just to get voted off in the final 10 people. When you're that close to winning $4.6 million and to just have it disappear because someone doesn't like you, like that would annoy me. That's to me, that doesn't feel like what the game was supposed to be about. That's like Survivor. Yeah. And it would mean that season two, if people have watched this, they'll go in and they'll treat it more like Survivor, where they really are trying to develop those relationships. Yeah. Alliances. Exactly. And I do not look forward to that. I did, Eddie, as a, uh, you know, kind of what we can look forward to in 2024. There was an article about some of the most notable sports bets of 2023 to give our listeners some excitement for what they could potentially win or lose in 2024. I'll go through some of the the big ones. So this one sucks. Los Angeles Chargers jumped out to a 27 to nothing lead over the Jags in the wild card game. 
that was in January, which the Jags ended up winning. At that time, a person put a $1.4 million bet for the Chargers to win at this is minus 12,500 odds. So basically he put 1.4 million to win $11,000 and lost that bet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I see those stories, I mean, that's money laundering. You can't convince me. <laughs> you can't convince me that's anything other than money laundering. Because okay, you could tell me $11,000 isn't an insignificant sum of money, right? Like if I could win $11,000 tomorrow, I'd be very happy. But if I had $1.4 million to risk, I don't think I'm risking that sum of money to only win 11000 Now, admittedly, you do that a thousand times, that's the only time you would have lost it. So you could say, how unlucky are you if you place that same bet on any other playoff game in yeah. history in a similar scenario? You're $11,000 richer and you're going to buy yourself, you know, a Rolex and telling people, Hey, this is basically free. Like it's crazy that they let me just win this money to bet on a team winning by that much in a game. But it's a hundred percent money laundering. Like I can't, <laughs> there's just no other reason to do it. So here's, this is a pretty good one here by FanDuel. So in week two of the NFL season, FanDuel put up an offer of 200 to one odds that every team in the 12 game Sunday afternoon, so just not the night game, would make a field goal. And it only happened once in the last 20 seasons that this has happened. This was the first week they put this up at 200 to one odds and it hit. They paid out more than twenty million on that prop bet. <laughs> that prop bet has not since come back. <laughs> yeah, someone got fired for that. Some guy someone in there definitely got fired. Someone either in their trading department or their marketing department. Someone got fired for that. And again, that's a weird one because you would say great promotion to have based on the fact that it never happens, and the fact that people would say surely that happens. You know, like in your head, you'd be like, don't most teams kick field goals at some point in the game? You would tell yourself that 200 to 1 is a bargain, and yet, historically speaking, it's not. So another one is this, I think, might be the highest odds one. There was a FanDuel reported there was a 25-cent 21-leg NBA parlay. At odds of, let me get this right, 455,000 to one. So 25 cents to win 113,000 that hit. That's one of their all time biggest losses. That one, that one is one of those ones that I wonder how many that person put in for a 25 cent. A million. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> That's one of those two. I, I look again, if I managed to pull that off tomorrow, I'd be delighted. But I think I'd also live with a lifetime of guilt and regret of not making it a dollar. You know, like there's. <laughs> yeah. 
And maybe that person, not I never do scent bets. No. In fact, I never go below five. No, but probably that person had, there's a good chance maybe they had 25 cents left in their online betting account and were like, fuck it, I'll just throw this on this bet. It will never win, so what do I care? And I don't want to have 25 cents sitting in this online betting account, but you would kick yourself for like, really? I didn't just deposit $10 more and then make it a $2 bet, a $3 bet. I mean, probably my undoing, but I would have, you know, been like, <laughs> who wants to, who wants to, if I win it, I'm going to hate winning it more than I would losing it. So this I thought was a pretty good one. Um, there was someone who successfully picked the first 14 games of the NFL season against the spread in a $10 parlay. How much do you think that paid? Oh, it's going to be huge. I mean, my math should be good enough to get close, but I won't, I won't try and bore the listeners by trying to, uh, um, Let's say it was $10, you said? Yep. 14, 14 teams? 14 games, yep. Let's say um, 800,000. No. Off by 10%, uh, tenfold. 88,000. Okay. 88, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not as high as you'd think. No. I mean, obviously, it does depend a little bit on terms of you get those favorites where they're not giving you like the 10 to 11 sometimes on the spread. You can get them. Not that that would have worked you up to my number. But yeah, that isn't as, that would be disappointingly low as a, to get 14 things right against the spread. um, Yeah, you'd feel a little hard done by. This was, I thought was a pretty good one. This recent. So there was a better who had four parlays of college football and college basketball at the end of the year. So like December 27th, 28th, 29th. So four different parlays. They all had were 13 for 13 with Ohio state left to beat Missouri in the cotton bowl. The better cashed out all of them and won 41,000 off of four, four dollar bets so $16 for 41,000 that's a good cash out yeah it is obviously for listeners unaware Ohio State went on to lose what nine three yeah Was it? um I guess the argument- in, a, in a game you would be so fucking pissed if you let it ride because the QB went down early and they yeah. were down to their what was second but really third string because their first string QB had transferred out in the portal so you're with a with like a true freshman never really took more than 10 snaps didn't think he was probably going to play in as the starting qv like that would have been you would have been so pissed (laughs) yeah i mean if you were critical of him i guess you could say if he cashed out in the game he maybe makes a little bit more because they were winning three zero for like the first three quarters or something. Right. So maybe, although I don't know how the, the impact of the injury might've affected then the payout, but yeah, I mean, smart move. 
And I think you would just say, like, if we were having the discussion going into that game, yes, Ohio State were favorites. But when you're looking at a team with so many key players sitting out, you'd, you'd, you'd think just take the money. Like, yeah. if you want, take the money and maybe rebet a little bit of it, which is the thing we always talk about, right? You maybe yeah. you take it all and then maybe you put $10,000 on Ohio State to win. <laughs> but yeah, take the yeah. money. That was a smart, smart cash out. And then obviously we can finish on the one that we've been debating that uh, is, I think, definitely real, was the $5 14-leg parlay of touchdown scorers that paid out $5 for $489,000 through DraftKings. Um, There was, uh, what was I going to say? That was supposedly the biggest odds that DraftKings had paid out that year for any bet. But then supposedly they have like VIP bettors that they don't release the bets of. Like they remain anonymous unless they want to. And there was someone else who said that they correctly predicted all six fights at UFC for one of them at higher odds. But the payout was less because they only bet a dollar. So they... Bet one dollar and won three hundred and ninety nine thousand. They have a VIP better who's throwing on that one dollar. Exactly. So that's why I don't get what the VIP means. There's no yeah. way. It's a VIP program, so maybe they just bet so much that they get yeah, in. I sure. Don't know what, I don't know what it means. Sure, but, but so that was that technically would... the highest odds winning DraftKings. If, if you if you put yourself into like the high spender category either in terms of size of bets or just sheer amount, total amount bet. And then you start throwing on $1 accumulators. You should be reported for a gambling problem immediately. You know, like that <laughs> should be. <laughs> if well, I like, wonder if this person actually did just like a thousand different permutations of this bet, because basically it's who wins by, by what method and in what round. And there was six fights. Yeah, even so. So maybe they're VIP because they have computer <laughs> algorithms they're running to bet all day. And they still lost money on the even with the big win. Yeah, I don't know. And you know I'm slightly skeptical about some of these reported wins just because I think it's the easiest form of marketing. And I think some of these companies have been caught in the past making some of these up. And it seems like this most recent incident that you're talking about is probably true, but I remain skeptical always. I'm going to say it's true. I have personal insider info. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we could probably get him on, but I don't know if that would even change my mind. (laughs) I'm going to be like, uh, you know, like one of those weird Sandy Hook deniers who's like even speaking to the person (laughs) speaking to the person somehow we're going to pay that guy more money (laughs) did you see what what he said when um because they had him on i forget what show they had him on uh and they were asking him some questions and they said you know like when did you say something and he said he said something after all the the early games hit and he had just the afternoon games left which was halfway through he was seven out of 14 yeah which is still, I think, a little early to this, say this something. Is, I've had a lot of bets that are seven out of fourteen through. 
<laughs> these are the two things that make me the most skeptical. One yeah. then to tell your, he was asked, when, when did you tell your wife? To tell your wife with seven things left, it's not like you're close. The expectation should still be for you to win. And it's not like he should have had, he could have had some like cash out offer that was worth, hey, do I tell my wife? I got $150,000. A lot of times they actually don't even offer cash out on those. He said it wasn't available anyway. Yeah. A lot, yeah. People, I, anytime I bet that they don't offer cash outs because it's too much, it's too confusing, I think, for them to calculate. And then the other thing, and this is more just me superstition and whatever, filming yourself, recording yourself for the final one. I don't know. Those two things combined to me scream non-real, non-gambler, but <laughs> that's just me. No, I definitely think it's real. <laughs> I also enjoyed that when he told his wife or girlfriend, she said, why didn't you bet 10? And you know what? It's a fair fucking question because, again, yeah. five is a weak bet. <laughs> no, and that that was actually the thing that made me think, yeah, that's the question you'd get asked. If you want, if you want that amount of money, that's the question I would ask you. Especially because, I mean, okay, not to pride, like to analyze this guy's life. He's a financial advisor. I'm assuming he could spare the extra $5, you know? But... Who, who knows? I don't know. You say that, but you know, every once in a while, you you don't expect it to win. So, you know, I've put on bets that if they See, ended up winning, I Eddie, would that's said, the mentality we can't be going to 2024 with. Okay, you expect ex it to win. Okay. Then that's going to be a lot of disappointment in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can handle that level of disappointment. And I did see, uh, I think I sent it to you, the the taxes instantly withdrawn directly from DraftKings, which is interesting. I didn't know that's how that worked when it became that high of an amount. I mean, I'd be happy about that. <laughs> I would too. I would 100%. That's way yeah. better because <laughs> yeah. it's like it's gone. You don't even have to worry about it, like whatever. Yeah. But that is interesting that that happens directly there, which I guess does make sense because when you're at a casino and it's a big enough amount, you instantly have to do it there as well. I just never really. Yeah, it makes sense. Together. Obviously. Gambling wins here, non-taxable, so I won't have to worry but about that But there's a problem. max, isn't there? Most bookmakers will not pay you out more than a million pounds. Unless, obviously, if you're doing a big bet, they will. But the idea that you could put like a 10-pound bet on to win 3 million, sometimes they'll let it... Most of them will just tell you max payout and then adjust your stake accordingly. There have been some issues at times where... They still displayed larger wins to people. Famously, one guy who predicted it to snow on Christmas Day in like 25 different locations. And what? Yeah. Tell me this, Ben. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll quickly bring it up. So the snow on Christmas Day issue happened in 2010. And a better guy named Cliff Bryant placed two five-pound accumulators so parlays for Americans, that snow would fall on 24 towns and cities across the north of England on Christmas Day. Now, Wait, his issue was... Like, how, how did he get away with this? Because aren't there some of the towns just like right next to each other? Yeah. This so this is, this is Ladbrook's the way they basically said they had to void the bet was because these were related events fundamentally yeah. and that like they shouldn't have accepted the accumulator. It'd, so be, said, like, it'd be like doing a same game parlay and putting on like... 
Dolphins to win by 40 and and like five touchdowns to be scored and have them be two completely separate like that added in like that's not how they work (laughs) no so he so yeah 10 pound bet two 10 pound bets that totaled the win would have been just over seven million pounds (laughs) ladbrook said we have apologized to the customer for any confusion and for mistakenly accepting an accumulator bet when our own rules state that only single bets are available on a market of this nature. We are happy to void the bets and to pay the customer his winnings on the relevant singles. They, however, amount to just 31 pounds and 78 pence. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than the 7.1 million Bryant was expecting. Now, I mean, did he take them to court? Like, did it actually say singles only market? I'm sure it's in the terms and conditions. Yeah, I, he he sought legal advice. I don't know what the outcome was of it. I'm sure <laughs> they probably you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, no I mean, chance. Yeah. This is always the thing, right? They got their asses covered with all their terms and conditions. So yeah, there's probably nothing good. Um, That's nothing a good, good way, though. Like, do you now? Do you think this is a savvy better who saw that they didn't contain it to a singles market? So then he went for the parlay. I think savvy better is probably a strong term, but I bet you he realized as he was placing the bet of like, it's crazy that they're letting me do this. Yeah. Like, unless you're an idiot, you'd have to understand that like this feels like the odds should reflect the fact that it's snowing. One place should reduce the odds of it snowing in the other place in a relatively close geographical area. He thought it was like when you get the paper slip that instead of eight to one, it says 80 to one mistakenly and just hoping they cash out before anyone notices <laughs> where you can run out of that bet shop. <laughs> Do you want to know what's weird? I have such random memories. The only memory I have of that event is that I was carded <laughs> by, the, by the person who oh. took our bets. <laughs> Yeah, so for the story for our listeners, once in the only time I've ever really benefited from a bookmaker making a mistake, I placed a a double that should have paid like three to one and instead paid like 30 to one because the guy wrote the odds in incorrectly. And it was a woman. A woman did, yeah. And we tried to cash it out at the first place. And I'm not saying cash- that, like, I'm just saying, like, because yeah, I remember yeah. the woman, like, I'm not saying, like, that's the, the guy cashing it out at the first place, I think, realized that a definite mistake had been made and then encouraged us to go back to the actual shop where we'd placed the bet. But at the time, also carded Frank, not believing that he was of age. <laughs> and Frank took as a huge compliment. <laughs> well, it was like 15 years over the age limit. <laughs> it's true. But, uh, but yeah. Maybe we can try and manifest that level of luck in 2024. And lastly, I want to end, Eddie, on an attitude we shouldn't take into 2024. And that's the attitude of David Tepper, the Carolina Panthers owner, who, in frustration for the shit team he's put together, decided to throw a drink at a Jaguars fan outside of his private suite at the stadium. That is the attitude that we should not be manifesting. No, it's, 
I mean, it's not surprising because obviously the temperament that you have doesn't leave you just because you're successful. And if anything, that type of temperament might have helped him to be successful in the hedge fund world. But it's amazing that you could be as wealthy and successful as he is and get that riled up by a fan taunting you or saying whatever is being said. Like, you'd think you'd be able to rise above that pretty easily. Like, it would have even been a bad look had he just asked, depending on what was said, obviously. But even if he had just asked for the fan to be ejected, you would have thought, come on, like, <laughs> close the window. Yeah. Like, Close your probably double pane, soundproof, bulletproof windows. (laughs) There must be a way to not hear this guy anymore. And also, I have less respect for him. You say throw a drink. He did the like angry girlfriend in a bar throwing the liquid out move. Yeah, he didn't. (laughs) He didn't whip a can at a guy's head. That would have been obviously worse. (laughs) More repercussions but more respectable. Yeah. Did you see the person that he threw it at says they have second degree retinal alcohol burns? Did they really? No, I was kidding. (laughs) But (laughs) they then took straight alcohol and (laughs) rubbed it into their eyes (laughs) five minutes after. Oh, I would have thrown myself backwards over the, the, the chairs. (laughs) I would have immediately just taken one for the team. I would have just, Whoa! The shock of the of the vodka tonic to my face would have sent oh, it burns. Would have sent me flying over three chairs. I'm allergic def- to vodka. Definitely injuring my neck. Yeah. Frank, step on my hand. Step on my hand. Break it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, All right. right. Well, I guess with that, we'll uh, wrap it up and call it a day. Sounds good. All right, talk to you later. See you. See you.